Hey, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher. I own Mindful Counseling in Orem, Utah, and I'm on a mission to break down mental health stigma. Therapy Thoughts is a podcast all about helping you love yourself and make peace with your mind, body, and food. I'll share some education, tips, interviews, and tools from my clinical experience so you can improve your mental health. Stay tuned as we change the mental health game and talk all about therapy. What's up? Welcome to episode 20 of Therapy Thoughts. This is Tiffany Rowe, and today we have a very special podcast episode. I got to sit and talk with Nicole McDermott, a social worker, counselor, and eating disorder recovery coach. She has over 10 years of experience working in the mental health field. And I got to talk with her on Skype all the way from Sydney, Australia. We got to dig really deep into this episode. She is a fat activist with a strong sense of social justice. She's a writer and has a really strong presence on Instagram, teaching everyone about size acceptance, eating disorder recovery, weight stigma, and a number of social justice issues. Nicole is informed and practices by the health at every size, non-diet, trauma-informed, and social justice framework. She has a lived experience of an eating disorder while living in a larger body and believes that we simply do not see enough representation of all people in all bodies across the current eating disorder recovery narrative. She really is a visionary as both a clinician and as an activist in the eating disorder sphere. She draws upon her professional expertise and lived experience, and that informs her practice. And you can hear that in this episode. She's raw, she's real, she's vulnerable, and she digs deep. She challenges our thinking and is just so easy to learn from. I was really honored to sit with her. She had the recent honor of presenting at the Australia and New Zealand Academy for Eating Disorders in Melbourne, Australia. And she talked about the issue of weight stigma and eating disorder treatment. And really, this has been the pinnacle of her career thus far. And so she hopes to continue um, to do that type of work and to see significant systemic shifts across this space. Nicole was just incredible. Um, This episode can get uncomfortable because we're talking about social justice issues. We're looking at oppression of marginalized peoples. We're talking about the social and political climate. We're looking at the stigma and injustice around people in bigger bodies. We're talking about patriarchy and white supremacy and beauty standards. And so it's uncomfortable, but we really talk about how we have to get uncomfortable in order to get better in order to make change. Um, So I hope you can listen with an open heart and get ready to learn. She has some great ideas and suggestions for us. So take a seat, kick back, relax, and let's listen to Nicole. It's Nicole McDermott. I was kind of laughing when we started our Skype call because I was like, how much am I allowed to fangirl you right now and kind of be (laughs) starstruck? Yeah, feeling was mutual. I'm like, we're actually talking in real life. It's pretty cool. I love it. Um, Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us all the way from Sydney, Australia. Yeah, yeah. Totally different time zones, but it's awesome. Thanks for having me. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about about your background and what you do? Yeah, cool. Um, I guess I am a social worker by trade. So I trained in social worker, um, in social worker, in social work. Um, I'm also a counselor and an eating disorder recovery coach. So I kind of wear many hats but a lot of them intersect along the way um and a lot of i guess what i've been trained in really informs my my practice um 
that's me in general, I guess, kind of from a from a professional sense. Um, but I also have quite a, I guess, presence on social media um, and really looking at kind of fat activism um, and yeah, body liberation in in that sense. And that's all kind of pushed out by, via social media. Oh, your voice is so powerful, and I've personally learned so much from you, uh, previously having, you know, no knowledge of those terms and the history. So I'm really excited to jump into that with you. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm still learning all about it myself. So, you know, this has been a, a huge process for me to kind of take a deep dive into it as well. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's awesome. I'm just, I'm learning so much along the way too. So yeah, it's great. Cool. Um, before we kind of unpack some of that stuff, can you just tell us what got you interested in mental health and on this, got you on this journey? Um, I guess while I was studying, I always had such a keen interest in mental health and I always knew that that was the area that I was going to end up in. Um, I just, I had it in me, like I was just really curious about people and I was just really curious about people's stories and what kind of made people tick and, you know, just that idea of sitting down and hearing somebody's somebody's story was just really interesting to me. Um, so I, I did all of my training in mental health, did all of my placements in mental health and then have worked the last kind of 12 years in mental health. So yeah, I've it, not really strayed too far away from it. Um, and I guess particularly working in the field that I'm working in at the moment, which is eating disorders that had been my own lived experience of that, that had kind of really, I guess, yeah, really, really kind of brought me along to being interested in working in a clinical setting um, and making a real difference in the way that eating disorders are, are viewed and treated and I guess, yeah, kind of looked at in our, in our society at the moment. I think it's so important for this education to recognize like eating disorders aren't this separate topic from body politics and fat activism like this. We can't just talk about one without talking about the other. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like we can't we can't talk about eating disorders and we can't be in the business of treating eating disorders without simultaneously looking at things like weight stigma and fat phobia. And we also can't be talking about those things without looking at transphobia, without looking at ableism, without looking at, you know, sexism, classism, you know, all of our isms. It's so like it's 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 such a huge part of our broader socio-political context and we there's just these huge broad social constructs that i just really want to dismantle um that i think a lot of us in this space are, are working at, at kind of chipping away at at the moment but yeah it's just such of a such a huge part of such a broader system so i mean in essence you know the work that we do in eating disorders is 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 huge but in essence when we're looking at it from such a broader context it's it's quite it's 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 quite a kind of small pool of what we're doing essentially so yeah, yeah. it's only one piece of it so mm. i mean where do we begin i i imagine a lot of us are just intimidated like how we feel ignorant to this we don't understand the socio-cultural political influences or where to begin so like, what's the one-on-one approach? Like, how do we start? Yeah, <laughs> look, for me, that was, I guess, the question that I was asking myself, where do I start with all of this? Um, and it was a matter of connecting myself with a community of like-minded people. It was a matter of kind of sourcing out, okay, who are the other people that are doing this work? Who are the people that have come before me that are doing this work? Who can I, who can I talk to? Um, and most importantly, knowing that I myself, I guess, had, and, and I'll call it an obligation, you know, kind of had an obligation in that sense that if this is the direction that I wanted to take and the work that I wanted to do, I was going to need to take that responsibility for myself and do the learning. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important, particularly, I might be getting a little off track, but I want to finish this in saying that when we're talking about, I guess, kind of oppression and marginalization, you know, up in those broader socio-cultural constructs there, you know, it's not up to people who 
I guess exist in the margins and it's not up to people who face oppression to be providing that education for people. Um, so that's that's a huge thing that I've learned along the way. Um, but I guess kind of coming back to where do we start, it, for me it was just a matter of kind of jumping in. It was a matter of going, okay, I know that I'm going to get a lot of things wrong, you know, when I first start out. I know that this is a huge learning process. I know that I'm going to make mistakes and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know anything or everything and that's okay. Um, but it was a matter of making a commitment to just start. You know, it's kind of an intimidating thing to kind of put yourself out there and go, actually, this is the work that I want to do and I kind of want to shout it from the rooftops. Um, and, you know, you can come up against so much criticism for that. Um, but it's just a matter of kind of keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Um, and knowing that, I guess, one of the huge things that I've learned along the way is knowing that my voice is so important in this space um, amongst many, many, many others. So, yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question, but it, it's just a matter of kind of jumping in and be willing to do the work yourself, I guess, if yeah. I can summarize all of that. And I think that's so helpful yeah. to find people who are willing to teach and like-minded folks. I know of I, mm. being in the public eye on Instagram has mm. been a really steep learning curve for me. Because um, I'll say stuff that in ignorance is offensive. And when I've been yeah. corrected, it's been... What I've learned is I have to be willing to learn. And I have to be willing yeah. to get uncomfortable and to be better, but also to have the right to be, you know, a growing feminist, an imperfect feminist, and someone who can learn along the way. But following people who are teachers like yourself and others in this space, um, I think that's a great first step. I think you nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, what you just said then in terms of, you know, those times where we do, and I think all of us, you know, all of us in this space, we do get pulled up. You know, we, we use language that may not necessarily be in alignment with, you know, our, our message or our ethos, um, you know, and it's, it's so, I guess, easy to do when you have that, I guess, kind of ingrained in you. It's so easy to, to say something or put something out there that may come across as offensive. And I think you nailed it too, in terms of you must be willing to kind of sit with that discomfort of going, actually, you know, when people are calling me in here, um, you know, this, this feels really uncomfortable for me and that's okay. This is a learning process. Yeah. Um, you know, that willingness to make mistakes, I think is such a huge thing in this space too. I love that you were saying like you, you take it upon yourself and you're not letting other people carry the discomfort or saying this isn't, you know, my calling that you're willing to do the work. And that's, I think that's a really powerful message. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, it, 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 it feels awful, you know, it feels awful at the time, you know, when people are calling you in for things that you've said or that you've done or whatever it is, it feels awful. And like your initial reaction is to just explode, but sitting with that and kind of, you know, brewing on that and going, okay, what is this really about? You know, this is my own discomfort, you know, in, in kind of going, actually someone's pulled me up on the fact that, you know, I'm kind of sitting in white supremacy at the moment, you know, I'm kind of using my privilege to further oppress others. And, mm. and that's, that's a really awful feeling when you come to that realization as well. Um, you know, it's, it's rumbling with that and kind of going, actually, yeah, I, I've really screwed up here. How can I make this better? Um, yeah. yeah. Can you help folks who are listening kind of understand, cause they may not be in the world of activism or even feminism. That may be like a really new concept what what does it mean to be an activist for you? You you say you're a fat activist, you're taking on uh, fat phobia and weight stigma. Like, what's that look like? What's that even mean? Yeah, look, I, I think that that's huge. And I think that activism is such a, it's such a broad term, you know, I mean, I think 
historically, you know, I mean, for me being a kind of young and naive social worker, you know, when I first kind of graduated uni, the thought of activism is, you know, like protest marches and, you know, really big, bold statements and, you know, and that in itself, yes, is is absolutely activism. Um, But what I've kind of learned along the way is that activism is whatever you define it to be um, for the particular individual in terms of what you're doing and what you're putting out there. Um, My activism that I do and all that I kind of have time for in my life really is is the messages or are the messages that I'm putting out on social media. So I'm really trying to disrupt those social norms Mm. and I guess have folks feel uncomfortable with some of the messages that I'm putting out on social media you know I want to create that kind of real that that, yeah I really want to create that discomfort for people you know not in a sense to kind of make them run for you know run for the hills but to make them go actually let me think about this you know what is it that I'm getting uncomfortable about you know why is this making me feel like I want to have a reaction here um so activism for me is something that is is really important in what I do. Um, the messages that I put out there on, on social media are really about challenging people's ideas of fat bodies, you know, challenging people's ideas of, you know, I guess, yeah, what what fat what what living in a fat body is like um you know that idea that people equate you know thinness with health and Mm. fatness with unhealthy and you know all of these really unfounded beliefs that people have around fat bodies um i really wanted to challenge some of that and i also really wanted to be able to create a platform where people who also live in larger bodies could see that living in a larger body or or could see somebody else that was living in a larger body that is happy and content and you know living a life that is unapologetic Mm. and that gives absolutely no I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here but gives absolutely no you know what about you know um, we can mark this episode explicit for good reason okay yeah yeah well I'm just gonna say it like gives absolutely no fucks about what people think about my body um you know and I think that that is such a huge part of what I do too you know that anger that righteous Mm -hmm. anger about the way that you know bodies have been treated and in particular fat bodies have been treated mm-hmm. historically it's just yeah it's, it, it makes me really angry and I use a lot of that anger to fuel a lot of what I do on social media mm. you're doing a damn good job and it's powerful and I love the anger and I'm having such a like my mind's going a million miles an hour because you said I want to create discomfort for people And any clinician agrees we want to make our clients uncomfortable because that's where the growth happens. So how come we're willing to do that if it comes to emotions or looking at someone else's life? Are we willing to look at that when it comes to our own internalized fat stigma and phobias and judgment? Yes, that is the million dollar question, you know, and I think in particular, you know, like weight stigma exists in so many places and it exists in places that we really don't think it should and I think in particular like the eating disorder space is probably one of the most fat phobic spaces I have ever come across freaking preach Um, oh look it just it yeah it pisses me off um and working in this space is just like I want to beat my head against a brick wall sometimes. I mean, the amount of fat phobia that you come up against as, in particularly, a fat eating disorder clinician yeah. working in the eating disorder space, yeah. um, you know, is, is, is horrendous. And, you know, that idea that, yeah, we want to make our clients uncomfortable because, as you said, that's where the learning and the growth happens in therapy. But when therapists are confronted with having to challenge their own bias it's almost like we throw our hands up in the air and go no that's too hard it's like how are we role modeling that for our clients how are we role modeling that as 
therapist, if we're not willing to feel that discomfort and we're not willing to challenge our own shit, like Mm. how, yeah, how can we be effective in the room with our clients? You know, if we're bringing so much judgment and so much weight bias and fat phobia into the room with our clients, you know, how are we actually helping them and supporting them to heal the relationship that they have with their bodies when we're carrying so much bias about ourselves oh, um, yes. and, and in turn about, about so many other people? Let, I mean, let's call it what it is. This is, this is systemic and this is why you're interested yeah. in all the sociocultural factors, but weight stigma is in the DSM. The fact that the term atypical anorexia exists yeah. or that we have to say, you know, there's a BMI descriptor of like diagnoses. It's <laughs> we're trained with these stigmas. Yeah. We're trained with these stereotypes and it's we got it. We, we have to change it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, don't even get me started about the whole atypical anorexia. Like, let's call it what it is. Anorexia is anorexia. I don't care whether somebody is in a smaller body or in a larger body. It is what it is. Just remove the word atypical. Yeah. Just because somebody is not, you know, quote unquote, underweight according to bullshit BMI charts doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and, and I mean, that's, that's exactly right. You know, weight stigma exists in our diagnostic criteria. So, you know, we're, we're kind of screwed from the get go almost. Really? You know, that's a, yeah, like that's a really kind of dreary way of looking at it. But, <laughs> you know, when our diagnostic criteria is, is exactly that, um, yeah, we're, we're up against a fight. Yeah, we really are. And I think that that anger is what's going to propel us to protect our clients and the disenfranchised and the marginalized folks who have, they're up against an eating disorder and, and all the other stuff. And I think that anger is power. It's empowerment and that education's power empowerment. Um, You said something that I think is profound. I mean, in our world, we talk about this language all the time, but folks listening might really be like, oh, wait a second, someone in a fat body using fat in the kind of the reclaimed word Mm. someone in a bigger body they can be healthy like they really may be surprised by that because i have so many clients who come in and say well i need to lose weight to get healthy and i'm like you really think all the people in thinner bodies in my clinic are happy people Mm. the people suffering Mm. in thinner bodies are happy so what other kinds of myths do we have what kind of like stigma don't we even question about people in bigger bodies Oh, (laughs) how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, like this, this whole idea that, you know, fat is synonymous with lazy or with unhealthy or with unworthy or with unlovable or with blah, 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 is just absolute crap, you know, and this is the discourse that we have around fat. And I think because fat had become such a word that was used to demean and dehumanize and to disempower and, you know, to to take people's humanity away from them, um, you know, this is this is what we've grown up with and this is what diet culture has taught us. This is what patriarchy has taught us. This is what you know, all of these systems of oppression have taught us that, you know, people in fat bodies, and I'll I'll get to the reason why I actually use the word fat in a second, but people in fat bodies are always visible, but never seen. Mm. And that is a huge thing to have to carry. And it's just... Oh, look, it, it's, yeah, I mean, there's there's all of these assumptions around fat bodies that mm. uh, are just horrendous. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we really have to start challenging that. You know, we really have to, when we see it, we need to call it out. You know, if we're doing work in this space and if we're, we're working with folks around, you know, any sort of healing relationships with with food and body and with movement, you know, we really need to be talking about the issues of 
weight stigma, fat phobia. We need to be talking about bodies in the room. We need to be talking about what that's like um, and having these open conversations because, you know, neutrality in that essence is, I mean, that just creates further oppression, mm. you know. it's Yeah, sorry, I could rant on and on and on about this, so I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you for teaching us. I wrote down, quote, people in fat bodies are always visible but never seen. And for us to stop and to think and to empathize and to try to connect to that and to think about what it's like to exist that way. I mean, we have to bring this oppression to we we have to think about it we have to we have to really consider that we can't just ignore this yeah exactly exactly you know treating people in a way because of their body size and like we haven't questioned it Mm, exactly i mean you know weight stigma is the weight-based discrimination is the only acceptable form of discrimination that we have. You really it's, think about that. Can you imagine discriminating based on a person's skin color today? Absolutely. Why, absolutely. why, why is this okay for people's body size? I mean, keep going. Yeah. It's, it really makes us think. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, I, I mean, when we when we think about that and we dig deeper on that, why is discrimination based on body size the only acceptable form of discrimination that we have? Or why is that even a form of acceptable discrimination? Mm. That in itself is just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. You know, and there's there's research out there to say that you know, people in bigger bodies are, you know, less likely to get promotions or less likely to be, you know, considered for jobs. And people in bigger bodies are more likely to be paid less than people in smaller bodies. And, you know, it's just, there's so much that we don't see or that we don't understand around the discrimination that people in bigger Mm. bodies face. And I think that, a lot of the assumptions that people have and, you know, their own bias and their own prejudice that they carry around with them is that it's somehow the responsibility of a person in a bigger body to change their body in order to not experience oppression around being in a bigger body. So it's somehow become an individual responsibility rather than a systemic issue. Mm. And so we're all wandering around in this world going, well, only if this person would lose weight, then they would stop feeling oppressed. Mm. But if only we tackle weight stigma and fat phobia and realize that there's such a diverse range of bodies in this world, and that is something to be really celebrated. Mm. I mean, how would that change the way that we see things? Wow. Yeah. I mean, how would it? Can we imagine that? And can we take the steps of discomfort and, and following thought leaders on this? You said, I'll explain while I use the word fat here in a moment. Help us understand yeah, what it means sorry. to kind of reclaim that. Yeah, look, I think particularly for me, and as I said earlier, you know, fat is always something that had been thrown around as an insult. You know, and for me, you know, growing up, like I was always in a bigger body growing up and, you know, through high school being called fat, you know, every day by people in my class and people in my year. And, you know, it was always used to like to to get me down. And so the word fat had always had these really negative connotations to it. And, you know, my own internalized fat phobia as well growing up Mm. you know I was afraid of being fat I was I I didn't want to be in my body I didn't want to be in a fat body Mm. um you know I was I was scared of my own body um you know so really digging deep on what that meant too um and 
you know, over the years being able to go, actually, you know what? Like fat is just this neutral benign descriptor of my body. You know, it's, it's like tall or short. It's like hot or cold. It's Mm. like, you know, I can't, I can't think of any other examples at the moment, but it's just, it's just a neutral descriptor. You know, it's just how I describe myself. And to be able to reclaim that word is actually really, really powerful. Mm. You know, to be able to stand up and say, actually, yeah, I am fat, you know, and I don't care what you think about my body, you know, it's, so what? I'm fat, you know, yes. whatever. That doesn't mean anything. It's a neutral descriptor of any other body aspect. It's not an insult. And I... I'll get DMs, you know, from parents like, my child said someone was fat or this or that. What do I say? Mm. How would you How would you help people change their language around this so we can start shifting? I, I think that's a, a really a much-needed conversation that we need to be having. Um, and, I mean, particularly around that too. And it's like, well, you know, if we're using the word fat as an insult, you know, if I mean, particularly in the example that you just used, you know, so-and-so called so-and-so fat. It's like, well, what did you mean when you called them fat? Why did you call them fat? You know, were you meaning to insult them? You know, what what was the meaning behind that? And I think we have to really dig deeper into, okay, the word fat, what's the context in it being used here? Um you know, and I think that it starts with having discussions around body diversity. Mm. You know, it starts with having discussions around, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes. We come, you know, in many, many different forms. And that is just the amazing nature of the human race. Mm. You know, that is just something that is really quite amazing. And we need to really, I guess, be having those conversations with people around what does it mean to have body diversity? Yeah. You know, what does it mean to look at bodies just for what they are? Why do we have to have so much, so many judgments around bodies? You know, what does that mean for us? And, you know, I think if we can start to unpack that, and we can start to have those conversations that may be uncomfortable and that may be challenging, you know, that's where we really need to start because, you know, if we're not willing to lean into that discomfort that, you know, we're just going to stay in this space of going, okay, you know, I'm making judgments about, you know, not only my body, but other people's bodies as well. And that just keeps us stuck. I think that that's a new concept for a lot of people. The, even the, the concept of body diversity and that Mm. it, there's not one body type that's the right body type. And I can't help but think like, well, this is this is part <laughs> patriarchy, white supremacy. Like this is historically embedded. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this is this is cultural. Yeah. You know, this is this is our political climate you know this is what we're up against and what we've been up against for so so long that you know there's been an idealized body type and there's been one body type that's been held up on a pedestal and if you don't conform or if you don't meet that ideal then you know sorry you don't get to play yeah you know it's yeah and I mean so many people fight to to meet that body type you know fight to change their body to try and meet this unrealistic ideal and then wonder why you know they're ending up in our clinic rooms right with an eating disorder like you know and this is this this is the connection between eating disorders and these broader systemic you know constructs like diet culture patriarchy white supremacy you know this is the connection and this is why it's so important to be able to, yeah, to be able to look at this as something that is really intersectional. You know, it's not something that we can look at in a vacuum. Right. It's something that we need to look at on a broader context, much broader context. 
you're you're nailing it. It boils down to all of this, and this is what gets people into eating disorder. This is why they show up in our clinics and why they suffer. Trying to pursue that body type, and it's tied into all of these different facets. You use the word or the the phrase body liberation. Can you can you kind of help us understand maybe how that can, um, what that means and and how that can help us? Yeah, look, I think body body liberation is such a, a broad term, and I think that I think for me in particular, it's really rooted in social justice, and it's really rooted in the idea that you know, when I, I can't remember who actually said this quote, but it's, I've lost it in my head at the moment. I think it might have been Martin Luther King, but the idea that we're not free until we're all free, mm. um, you know, and, and that's the idea of body liberation. You know, that's the idea of kind of, for me, looking at things through a systemic lens and looking at things through a social justice lens that, you know, if we're working towards helping people heal their relationships with their bodies, it's not just in our clinic rooms. It's looking at dismantling patriarchy. It's looking at dismantling racism. It's looking at dismantling sexism. You know, it's it's going back to these intersectional, you know, constructs that I was talking about earlier. That's what we have to look at. You know, that's what we're up against. And body liberation, like eating disorders, won't exist in a vacuum either. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to be looking at the ways in which people don't have autonomy over their own bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I mean, looking at children that are being taken from their parents at the border. I know that there was a huge thing over in the States. Over here in Australia, we have, you know, children and families in detention camps that, you know, are are being separated. And, you know, that in itself is body liberation as well. You know, we're not free until we're all free. Mm. And this might sound like a really wishy-washy concept for people and people might be rolling their eyes at this point. But, you know... I think it really comes down to the idea of power and privilege and the interplay with this as well. Mm. Um, it's such a, when we're privileged in a sense, we're almost kind of shut off to the idea that there's so much marginalization and so much oppression that's happening in our world because we don't personally experience it. Mm. And it feeds so much into the idea of body liberation that, you know, we have to be willing to look at the most marginalized and we have to be willing to look at how we can support that as clinicians, mm-hmm. as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, again, you know, we're not free until we're all free. It's beautiful. And I, I think it's, it's hard and it's, I hope we don't just roll our eyes and give up and say it's too much, it's too big. I mean, this is how change happens. This is why this is a social justice issue and this is our generations taking it on. These words are new yeah. to people and I don't want Absolutely. I don't want us to get overwhelmed. I want us to to realize that we can make change just like every generation before us and we have work to do each of us. Um mm. we got to talk about feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the the one thing that I've realized here as well in terms of, you know, my kind of quote unquote raging feminist, angry feminist, you know, people think that they can use that as an insult and I just kind of turn around and laugh and say thank you. Um, <laughs> but this idea of, you know, I would much rather risk discomfort in being able to talk about my own body autonomy and body autonomy that women have, you know, then I guess kind of be complicit in my own dehumanization and the dehumanization of others as well. Mm. You know, it's about speaking out about these things. Um, 
you know, I, I realized lately that, you know, one of the huge learning curves for me lately was, you know, the idea that my own privilege in this was actually stopping me in a sense from going, oh, well, I don't really need to talk about these issues. That's nothing that's really kind of affecting me. But in staying silent on, you know, the, you know, I guess in, in staying silent about the ideas around body liberation, particularly for women, um, you know, staying silent on those issues, I was kind of an active agent in my own oppression mm. around that, being a woman, you know, being fat. I was an active agent in oppressing myself. Mm-hmm. And when I got to that realization, I was like, Mm-mm, fuck that. Like, <laughs> yeah. No way. I'm glad we've put an explicit thing on this, but you know, <laughs> like it just, you just get to that point where it's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, enough is enough. And when I realized that I was oppressing myself and realizing that my privilege in that sense was therefore oppressing others, I, that I wasn't okay with that. Mm. You know, I was not okay. And that's what really, I guess, really lit a fire underneath me. That's like, nah, make noise, make noise. And it's like, I am standing in my power and I give no shits You know, I'm standing in my power and I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to make as much noise as possible. And, you know, I'm entitled to, you know, I'm entitled to. Not in this sense of I have entitlement around it, not in an arrogant sense, but in terms of I am owning my space as a woman and I am owning my power as a woman. And I stand here and I'm talking about these issues with no apologies. Yes. I just am so stoked listening to you talk about this because this is what it's all about, this empowerment. And that anger is the only emotion stronger than shame. And we all have this internalized misogyny. We all have this internalized wrestle that something's inherently wrong with us. Yes. Yeah. and when yeah. we can finally say feminism's not an F word, like yes. stop stereotyping us or saying or something. I'm like, you you saying that continues to prove the fact of why I claim the word feminist for myself. So I yeah. just, I get fired up with you because it is, we hurt ourselves by subscribing to it. Absolutely. And look, you know, if listeners out there haven't watched Nanette by Hannah Gadsby, I hundred percent recommend that you watch it and I also recommend that people seek out the speech that she's that she's just done actually at a gala over in the states and she really talks about misogyny and her uh, one of her closing lines was the fact that you know men have been drawing this line in the sand time and time and time again but each time the line gets redrawn and it's not men who have to be drawing this line. It's women, Mm. you know, women have the right to be drawing this line in the sand. And, you know, that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm drawing this line and putting my foot down and going, fuck no, no more. Yeah, man, this is something I'm passionate about with you. And I, And I wonder how sneaky this is for like listeners and people who are wanting to love themselves and make peace with food and their bodies, like to recognize that you got to, you got to confront this stuff. I know for me, like I had some pretty blatant patriarchal upbringing. Like I've had a strong personality and was told that was wrong my whole life. Yeah. And like, be quiet, be gentle, read this book about being like a submissive, uh, quiet, stop making waves, like your personality's wrong. Um, and I developed internalized misogyny around that. And I developed the idea like, well, girls are lame. I'm going to be a a tomboy. And like, I don't like girls. And not until I became a clinician did I realize that that was internalized misogyny. I just thought that that was my personality. Yeah, And I share this to just kind of open up the idea to people of like, you may never question it and you may absorb it and you are, you're oppressed 
from this belief system that yes. you didn't even, that's not true. Um, and that's feminism. That's feminism for me by being unapologetically who I am. Mm. Mm. And, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, just, and I, I guess it, it's really just as you were talking then that idea of, you know, having to be submissive and having to be quiet, you know, I think it really relates back to what I was saying before, you know, that, you know, being a fat person, you know, always visible, but never seen, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can really relate that to women too, in particular, you know, always visible, but never heard, Yeah. you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, so we're yeah, making a podcast. <laughs> we're using our voice on a podcast. It's explicit and we're being honest and we're being vulnerable because I think it's it just does us a disservice to to not use our voice and to try to like be pleasant. Like you're causing waves on social media. You're calling people out and I love it. I'm here for it because I'm like good. A, a badass woman leader using her voice. This is what we need. School us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I don't, I'm, I'm hoping that this, and this is my own internalized anxiety around this too, in kind of wanting to retreat back to, I hope I'm not coming across as too strong. Right. You know, and it's, it's coming up for me now, you know, like that idea of, is this too much? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll own that, you know, and I don't want this to come across to people as going, holy shit, like I'm terrified. You know, I don't want to, I want to run in the opposite direction after hearing this. It's not about that at all. You know, it's about, it's, if I can kind of summarize it, it's about being critically reflective. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to reflect on everything that you see, everything that you've learned, everything that you've been taught. It's about questioning it. It's about being curious. It's about going, but why? You know, I mean, I remember as a child, my favorite question was why? And, you know, I was always told, stop asking why. But you know, that's, it's one of my favorite things to do now. Why? Why do things happen this way? Yeah. Why is it that we just accept things for the way that they are? Is there another way of thinking about this? You know? And when we're actually digging deep into unpacking a lot of this systemic oppression and a lot of these huge, broad social constructs that have just stood so strong for so long... I think that's the way that we have to approach it. You know, we have to go in there being able to reflect and being able to think critically and being able to question things. And that's, that's how we move, you know, and it's slowly, but surely. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's about having a community behind you as well to support doing this work. You just perfectly modeled exactly what we need to do. What you just said, this like critical reflection. I mean, as we have anxiety, challenging norms and talking about hard things and getting uncomfortable and us wanting to retreat and being like, oh, am I, how, do, how am I coming off? Is that, and yeah. that wrestle and that reflection, I'm feeling the exact same way. And that's, that's that vulnerability. That's what it takes. It's that honesty. It's that wrestle. And you just showed us exactly how to do it. And I think it's, that's what's powerful is you're, you're, you're willing to feel that and to say like, oh boy, how is this received? But what are my yeah. values? What am I called to do? Am I living in line with my integrity? And it's like, you're showing that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it hasn't always been that easy, but to, to stand and to claim more and more of my power, it's mm. like, okay, cool. You know, I I can feel that anxiety. I can feel that mounting idea of, oh, my gosh, how am I coming across here? And just going, okay, cool, it is what it is. And, you know, recognizing that that's my own internal stuff. Yeah. And then going, yep, that's what it is, standing in my power. Yes. Um, You know, and I I think kind of bringing it back to a clinical perspective and bringing it back to – 
you know, clinicians, that's what we have to be willing to do as well. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, this stuff is messy too. I think we have to acknowledge that. Oh, know? yeah. I've, this work is messy. I've probably said 20, like, wrong things, but it's okay. We're growing, <laughs> we're learning, we're, we're getting uncomfortable. Totally, <laughs> totally. totally. And isn't that the essence of feminist theory? Like, if our theoretical orientation is a feminist approach, it's that transparency. It's mm-hmm. that that humanness and that, that connection. Um, do you see feminism as a framework, like, impacting, like, specifically any other way that you approach psychology and healing? Um, look, I guess I, I really... I really, I guess, kind of draw a lot from feminism and social justice. And I feel like those are two of my huge, really overarching frameworks that really inform a lot of my practice. And I feel like the two kind of really go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's just a really... Yeah, I, I think it's, I think for me, like, it's it's really about empowerment. It's really about empowering people to, um, I guess, kind of reclaim their own power and mm. reclaim their own autonomy and reclaim their own agency and realizing their own worth as a human being mm. and being able to connect with their bodies and being able to come home to their bodies mm. and realizing that their bodies are just as worthy and just as you know yeah just as worthy to exist on this earth as any other person mm. um and i i i think that that's really driven by this sense of social justice and this sense of, of feminism sense of feminism this like theoretical framework of of feminism as well you know really about empowerment for me oh i love that word that is my calling i know yes yeah you say all the like all these value statements of like autonomy and agency but when you say empowerment i'm like yeah like i'm here for it i want that i i want to spread that yeah yeah I mean, for me, I kind of see it as like empowerment is almost like the umbrella Mm. and, you know, autonomy and agency and like reclaiming your body and coming home to your body just kind of falls under this umbrella of empowerment. And that's kind of how I work really visually. So that's how I really kind of see it. You know, empowerment is just this huge, like, glaring neon light at the top for me. And then, yeah, you know, agency and autonomy and, you know, it, it just, they all fall underneath each other. And that's that's how I really visualize. That's what my theoretical framework looks like in my head. Um, I'm yeah. going to need you to make that. I'm going to need you to make the umbrella empowerment with all the little other values underneath it like what a beautiful concept that might be my next social media post so watch this space (laughs) (laughs) yes that's super great i love it you might have to remind me of the words i mean (laughs) i'm i am like scribbling notes just like so excited by what you're saying and light bulbs are going off and I appreciate your willingness to teach because as someone who wants to learn more and be a better clinician and a better freaking person it's 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 so great to be able to say so can you can you help me understand what this means and yeah it's thank you thank you for being willing to teach us because you've gone through it and you've, you've had the lived experience, and I honor that, and I recognize that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think, I think just kind of adding, like, adding kind of a little caveat to that, too, is, you know, what I had said before is around marginalized folk not having to do the education. Mm. I I do what I do because it's what I do in an activist space and I use my voice to educate and I use my voice to, you know, come on these, these platforms and these podcasts. And that's, that's part of who I am. 
Um, and I, 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 I do this because I, I want to. However, I think that there's an expectation from mm. a lot of folks out there that marginalised people will teach them everything that they mm. need to know. Mm-hmm. And there's this expectation from folks with privilege that folks in, in marginalised bodies or from marginalised communities will teach them everything and it will be free emotional labour. And I just want to kind of say, folks with privilege, if you're expecting that from from marginalised folk, then that's actually another form of repression. Yeah. So the idea would be to, you know, ask a question but not be offended if somebody turns around and says, do the work yourself. Right. You know, like grab that autonomy and go and do the work yourself. Like that's what it's about too. So if we're talking about wanting to be a better clinician or being a a better human being, as you said, you know, there needs to be a willingness, yes, to be able to kind of sit down and have these conversations, but to do more work yourself. You can't rely on everybody else to teach you all that you need to know. There's books. There's podcasts. There's, There's things we can go read. And it's as I followed more... Um, social justice accounts on Instagram. I'm like, wow, there's a lot out here. Like, we don't need to oppress or burden the folks. We don't need to go bombard their inboxes, but rather be willing to get uncomfortable and do the work and do the research. So thank you for bringing that full circle. I think that's great. Do you have, I mean, a reading list or like your number one where people should go? Look, I think, you know... Have, I mean, have a look at who I follow on social media, I think would be, Perfect. you know, one, one step. Um, I mean, you know, my reading list is a mile long. I've got books piled up on my bookshelf that even I haven't read yet. So, you know, um, have a look at who I follow on social media, you know, be willing to, you know, be willing to search, be willing to search, you know, social justice hashtags, be willing to, you know, search white supremacy, be willing to search, you know, racism, classism, sexism, transphobia, you know, be willing to actually engage with accounts that might make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, be willing to actually, you know, read the research or read the books that you might be sitting there having such a visceral reaction to. Yeah. But be willing to sit with that um, because that's what it's about. That's where the learning is. You may, um, I follow someone, I'm blanking right now, but she created, I think it's called the White Supremacy Workbook. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Layla Saad. Yes. Um, and I've, I haven't done it yet, but I've seen the reviews and I've thought, I'm uncomfortable just thinking about doing it, which means I need yeah. to do it. And exactly. that's that's the kind of resources that are out there that we may not be familiar with, but yeah, looking at the people you follow or other activists follow, that might be a good starting point. So thanks. Yeah. Pleasure. So before we wrap up, will you kind of tell us about where we can find you? Uh, like your remind us of your handle or your website or any projects you got going on. Um, look, I do most of my hanging out on Instagram. That's where you will find me most of the time. So my handle is at the embodied journey. Um, I pretty much everything that I post to Instagram automatically posts to Twitter and Facebook because that's just makes my life a whole lot easier. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, but pretty much Instagram is my, my jam. Um, I don't have my own website at this stage. That's going to be under construction next year. Um, but if you do go to my link tree from my Instagram page, you'll be able to see little projects that I've done in the past media stuff um the recording of the plenary speech that i gave at the eating disorders conference um back in august which was an open letter to the eating disorders community that's up there as well i recommend listening to that um that's a a pretty yeah pretty confronting talk and kind of calling the eating disorder community to action so recommend listening to that as well 
Um, and yeah, I'm actually myself and Ashley Bennett, so body image therapist. We're actually working on a project that we're looking to launch next year. So watch this space. I cannot wait. <laughs> I can't say too much at the moment, but we are very excited. I feel like I should probably fly out there just to like buddy up and spend some quality time with y'all because dream team oh look like it's freaking hot in sydney at the moment (laughs) like you know weather is top notch at this time of year so feel free to hop on a plane look y'all the therapy thoughts (laughs) podcast we're going world worldwide (laughs) totally totally um, thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me. You're just the coolest. Oh, look, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and indulging my rants and yeah, just allowing this space to be able to have these conversations, which I know can be really tough. So thank you. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.